Good morning, everybody. My name's Alex. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so glad you decided to worship with us on this uh, beautiful day. And we're in the middle of a series called Terror to Triumph, and we're talking about uh, terrors that we face uh, externally. As you look at the world around you, there may be things that are causing anxiety for you, uh, things that are maybe causing fear and different things that you're seeing in the world and the different places in which you live your life. And then there's also terrors that you may face uh, within you. There's just things that you struggle with internally and maybe different fears, but those same things really weigh you down. Uh, This series is all about the terrors that we face, whether they're on the outside or the inside, and how Christ has given us the ultimate triumph over those fears, over those things that stop our progress, that cause us to lose hope. Uh, In Christ, we actually can triumph. And so we launched this series on Easter, celebrating the fact that when Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again, uh, enabled this triumph to exist. And if you're looking at what it means to be a Christian and you're deciding, uh, what does that mean in my life if I decide to follow Christ, this series is all about how that triumph on the cross of that resurrection, how that can make an impact in your life uh, here and now. And so I want to give a, a, like a series review if you've missed any of the weeks to kind of catch us uh, all up. And so we again launched on Easter Sunday and we started with this overarching idea that Christ is the conquering king. And he has freed us from the terror of uh, Satan, sin, and death. Uh, Those three things are the major concern and really the major cause of terror that we see, whether it's external or internal. Uh, We do have a spiritual enemy. If you're a Christ follower, he wants to come after you. But you actually don't have to give in to fear because you have Christ who will help you overcome the evil one. That's a promise that we have. But also sin and the choices that we make and the impact that others make and how their sin can impact us that causes a lot of problems as well. And so whether it's sin or death or Satan, all three have been overcome by Jesus. And that's why we proclaim him and we lift him up because we have to raise our sights on what is true about the reality of our world and the reality of our life. Last week, we talked about given that truth of who Christ is, the kingdom of God is expanding. Uh, It oftentimes starts small and it includes people like us, but it actually ends large. And that's The purpose of God's kingdom is not just a God who conquers, that just does whatever he wants at the snap of a finger, uh, but he actually uses messed up people like you and I for miraculous work. There's actually dignity and there's a purpose to the human life because if you're messed up and I'm messed up, uh, we're not cast away for just a purposeless life. We actually have meaning. It gives meaning to our days. It gives meaning to what we do and and how we do it. And so this series uh, started with this perspective, what we've covered so far. And today, I want to get into a little bit more specific, asking the question, and this is the title of today's sermon, is how then shall we live? If Christ did what the Bible claims and what eyewitnesses account for, and if that is true, and Satan and sin and death have been conquered, and the kingdom is expanding, and God wants us to be a part of it, even though we're messed up people, then what does that mean? What does that mean for the way that we should live? Christ was always in tune with how to help people understand how life should be lived. Uh, It was very specific. If you dig into the scriptures, what you find again and again is you have truth, but it's specific truth that speaks to all of life. Oftentimes, if we view the scriptures as just general or ideological, we miss a lot of the practical application that we can do in a daily basis. And so today, I want to start with a greater context of some of maybe Jesus' greatest teaching. In fact, across even the major world religions, people would consider what the Bible calls the Sermon on the Mount, 
uh, some of the greatest teaching that's existed. It describes the kind of people that Christ followers should be. And I want to do that because the main passage we're going to focus on is really this, this charge that Christ has given us. And I want to briefly go back to the commission in Matthew 28. And that commission that he gave us back then, 2,000 years ago to his followers, is the same commission to us. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It starts with authority. It starts with power. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations with that power, with that authority, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Again, the commands of God's will, God's ways, very specifically. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the greater context to the triumph that we have. Not only do we have power and authority, notice the beginning of the passage. This is Jesus charging his followers. This is given to you. All authority that I have, I'm giving it to you. To make a difference in your world. To go help people discover who I am. To follow me. And then notice the end of the passage. It goes from authority and power, all that's been given, to God himself and his presence. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is the summary of the Christian life. We've been given authority and power, but we've also been given the specific personal God who walks with us. There's hope. We're not alone. We're not doing this commission by ourselves. So I want to give some greater context to the specifics of this type of authority that we can live. And it's very different than we think. If you were to ask how a kingdom would conquer, if you look at history, it's, well, you mount up a big enough army and you crush the enemy in front of you. You have a bigger army than they do. You outmaneuver. You outbuild. You have more resources than they have. That's how nations have conquered throughout the history of time. But the Christian story is very different. In fact, the conquering king, what did he do? He actually died. And this statement here in Matthew 28 is after he had risen from the dead. Think about that. The conquering king had died and rose again. You're thinking, well, this kingdom isn't quite what I thought because you were dead, just dead a few weeks ago. But that is the difference of the kingdom of God. Again, it starts small, it ends large, and it uses people just like us. And so I want to give this context of the kind of character and the kind of life that we should live as a Christ follower. Now, if this is new to you, uh, some of this can be counterintuitive. And even if you've read the Bible, maybe since you've grown up, and maybe even as a young kid, I want you to pay attention to the themes that Jesus is speaking on and ask yourself the question is, is this different than the kind of life people in our world would say? Like this portrait of a Christian, of a Christ follower, is it different than the portrait of like an American citizen? Like what it means to be a good person here, is it different? Is there some discrepancies or dissonance? Ask that question as I read this. Uh, starting in verse three of chapter five of Matthew, it says, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if you were to go on any campus, whether it's an elementary school, a junior high, high school, or college, would you look around and see people treat each other and say, you know what, they're living out Matthew 5. Would you see that in the context of schooling? Now, maybe a step further, would you see that if you went into every home 
Do we see this? No, it's, it's actually very different. For the most part, if you want your own way in our world, you have to get it. You have to fight for it. You have to pursue whatever you want to pursue to make yourself happy. And so personal happiness and peace are the biggest things that we put in front of us. And the world affirms that and affirms it and affirms it. As long as it makes you happy, as long as it brings you peace, pursue it. Well, Christ's picture is very different. And he actually goes on. I'll read this in a moment, but it says, if you live this way as a peacemaker and as somebody who actually is okay with mourning the loss of life, mourning the loss of things that are pleasing to God, if you focus as somebody who's meek and don't just fight to get your way, but you listen to others, you're actually gonna live a different life and not everyone in your life will appreciate it. And he goes on in verse 10. Notice it goes a step further. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Notice the shift from 11 to 12. Let me read 11 again. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. What? Falsely on my account. Then what's the next word? Say what? What is it? What? Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great where? In heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you can imagine, this is considered the greatest teaching. Matthew 5, verse 9. All through there, these Beatitudes, these are the kind of people that consider themselves followers of me and my kingdom. You can imagine Christ is speaking this different way, and people are, are looking at the authority around them and comparing, wow, this isn't what my experience has been like. This is what I'm seeing in our culture, and you see the dissonance. And some would maybe be just put off by that. That's not how it works. That's not how life works. That's not my experience. And they maybe go their own way. And then to think, he gets to verse 10. And this is, again, the conquering king who at this moment could do whatever he wants to gain authority, but he actually draws a line. This is what I would call an ensmallment campaign. If you want to recruit people, the last thing you do is say, you're going to be persecuted, right? That's not how you gather followers. But he's speaking the truth of what life is like. To go the way of the kingdom oftentimes will go the exact opposite of the way of the world. It was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in ours. If you look at that passage again, verses 10 through 12, just look at what he says is the cost, is persecuted for righteousness' sake. That is for what's right, for what is good, what's true, what's moral. And you'll be reviled and persecuted and falsely accused of things that that you didn't do. And then again, he says, rejoice, because you're actually doing like the prophets before you, and even further, you're doing what I did. Again, Christ was reviled. He was spit on. He was mocked. He was beaten. And he was completely clean. And he was completely innocent. More than we have ever been or will be. And he took it. And he took it out of his love. So what Christ is saying is this is the way of the kingdom. Oftentimes, it's not how you think. And many times, it's not how you hope. But this is the way that we live. We live as a people who put our hope not in here and not what man thinks of us. We put our hope in how the living God thinks of us. And our reward and our treasure is in heaven. We know that this earth will not give us all that we long for, all that we hope for. Our meaning is not here. It's tied to forever. That's a very different way of living.
And I want to get even more specific with this context of these Beatitudes and then this, maybe this opposition that all of us could face in our life or our kids could face or their kids could face with this really identity that we have. And he takes it a step further. And this is the main passage I want to focus on today. This is Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So he's talked about this blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. And then it's blessing are you even when you face opposition and persecution. You'll have a great reward in heaven. Then he gives this identity, given all of this and all the people, maybe how counterintuitive. He says, this is who you are in the world. You are the salt and light of the world. Now, by using these two analogies, there's actually some presuppositions that Jesus is saying is our reality. And we have to start here. And it's this. The world is decaying and it's in darkness. If the world wasn't decaying, and I'm not just talking about the world is like broken and we have disease, which we do have, and natural disasters, which we do have. That's part of the brokenness and decaying of the world. And it's physical. You can see it. But there's also decaying morally that we see in the world. And that's always existed. And that is man's heart. We kept getting off track. We do our own thing in our own ways, and we can do utterly evil. And so there's a decay that's always existed and always will until Christ returns. But it's also a darkness, like where you think you're doing the right thing, but you're in the darkness you can't even see. So you're moving forward, and actually you're moving backward because you're in darkness. And so these presuppositions Jesus is saying, like, listen, if you're salt and you're light, you have a purpose. And the purpose is so important because of the reality of our world. Now notice what he says is you are salt and you are light. If you're a Christ follower, this is not an option. This is who you are. This is your identity. And because of that, that means you have a specific role to play in your world with the people that you relate to, with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. This is a part of the kingdom life that he's given you. And it's a noble life. And it's something that you can make a difference in the middle of the decaying of relationships people experience in the middle of the darkness that people are in. It goes back to Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. How do you do that? Your salt and your light. So I want to get into the specifics. How then shall we live? Well, the first is as a salt that preserves. Now, I did a little bit of research about salt. I've never researched salt as much in my life as I did this past week. But salt, in the, the time that this was written, and in ancient days, even before, the salt was very valuable. In Greek culture, salt was actually considered divine because of all that it did. It had this like special uh, power uh, Roman soldiers at the time, again, these followers would see the Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers who served oftentimes weren't paid with money. They were paid with salt. You ever heard the phrase, you weren't worth your weight in salt? It's speaking to the economy of salt. I don't know about you, but I like salt, but not that much. I need money. Don't give me like a salt shaker, right? But that's what they had in their day because of all the purposes and how valuable it was. Uh, this is maybe interesting for some and not for others, but in ancient days, like when a baby was born, 
That baby would be born from head to toe. They would rub that baby completely in salt. That was because the wounds and the scratches and the nicks and the idea was like, you rub the baby in salt, it's going to heal. And I'd love to see like, you know, a nurse do that at a hospital today. What would happen? But it's the idea of like, it it played this role in in this healing. And then also, as we all know, it adds taste. How many of you guys would consider yourself like a salt lover? You love salt. Like there's not a meal that goes by, you're like, it needs more salt. I I like salt. Now, there's one food that I absolutely think salt was created for, and it's an egg. This is just, I just wanted to share that with all of you. (laughs) It's just been on my mind. But if you ever had an egg without salt, it's disgusting. (laughs) If you've ever boiled an egg, Without salt, you can't even swallow that. It's physically impossible. So salt adds flavor. And when you put it on something that needs salt, it actually makes it better. Pepper, which I like as well, just, you know, learn, learn about Pastor Alex today. Pepper changes the flavor, but salt enhances it. So I think, given all of these reasons, all of the context that people had, when he says, you are salt, they had all this context. It's different than us. For us, it's mostly flavor these days because of different advances. But... I think what Christ is saying is bringing up the context. I think he had purity in mind. He'd, he'd said before, just in his previous teaching to all of them, blessed are the pure in heart. Salt has a part of that, that purity. I think he also is speaking to the flavor that Christians can bring to the world. You can add a flavor of a different kind of life. And then salt heals. Certainly, we've been forgiven, and because we've been forgiven, we need to extend that forgiveness to others. We can be a part of the healing that God brings in our world. And then salt creates thirst? How can we live in a way that people maybe are thirsty to learn more about who we are and why we do what we do? So I think all of this is in this context, but I think the greater of just putting it all together, which falls on all under this umbrella, is, is of this preserving. When Christ is saying, you're the salt of the earth, you're a part of preserving the world, not based on what it is of its standard, but preserving it for God's intent. You're a part of conserving and holding the line of, of God's ideal, of knowing people and loving them and being in a relationship with them. You, you're a part of helping slow the decay of culture in the world. We are salt that can preserve. We are people that can preserve God's ways in our culture here and now. We don't just put our, our head in the sand. We, we, we have a role to play. So if this presupposition is the world is decaying in darkness, then we have a question for all of us to ask. Because if we're a salt that preserves, then the question is, what do we need to preserve, and is the world the king? And so I just want to give you a moment to think about that, this question. Is the world the king, and if so, how? Is it the king? Can you see it? Just take a moment to think about that. Maybe jot an idea or two. What are some ways that you see the world the king? Are there people in your life that they're experiencing the decay? Maybe they're, they're lost and they're discouraged and sad just from different things that are happening. What, what is the decay that they're experiencing? Just take a moment to think about that.
I wanted to share just some things. I thought about this question myself. Well, if Christ is saying we're the salt and something needs to be preserved, then what's the king and what, what is it that needs to be addressed in our culture? Another way to say it is like, how is the world falling apart? It's actually not that great to think about sometimes. But it also speaks to the purpose that we can play. We can be a part of helping people connect back to him in the middle of the decay that they experience. What greater privilege than we have to actually be a part of preserving somebody's identity, nobility, and the purpose for which they're made. It actually gives great meaning to life. And it gives every encounter that we have with people an opportunity to be salt. And so here are some ways that I thought it's decaying. I'm not gonna sugarcoat this. First service, I said, I'm gonna be salty. And it was so cheesy, and I'm just gonna say it again. Um, But in all seriousness, here's some of the decay that I see. I'm just gonna go right to it. First, we kill babies in our country who are not wanted. We call that abortion, but we do that. We take innocent life. That's part of decay. We aim to control people and take away their freedom, not just in our country. You can see that starting to happen, but, but also just in the world powers, you have people living under control where they have no freedom to make their own choices. That's part of the decay. Uh, we build technology and consume in damaging ways. Uh, I just read a headline this past week that AI, artificial intelligence, is becoming like God. That's part of the decay. Uh, we've lost the distinction of how we're made in God's image, in his identity. Men are no longer men. Women are no longer women. And you're even seeing the world, the part of the decay of major corporations trying to push the trans movement. Nike, Bud Light. I decided I'm not gonna tiptoe around some of these issues because if we're gonna talk about the decay, you have to actually get specific. But these things are happening. Where there's people that are literally male saying that they're female because that's how they feel and trying to identify as a woman who speaks for women and they're not women at all. That represents decay. That represents confusion. In our world, that that's, that's actually highlighted and that's something that corporations are feeling the pressure to push. That's part of the decay. And you're seeing this pushed in, in our schools. It's pushed in our culture. The things that are actually detestable in the sight of God are noble in our world. That's part of the decay. And so when Jesus is speaking of the salt, he's speaking of the role that we can play to come back to God's standard. And here's the crux of it. If God's ways are right and if they're true, then that means if people are going against his ways, they will not be blessed like Jesus said. You can't have the blessing of God and don't do what he says. So as Christians, we have an opportunity and a role and a purpose and a command to stand for the ways of God, to preserve, to shine light, and that's the light part, on who he is and the difference that he makes. And so part of how we preserve it is we see people in their brokenness, in their despair, and we don't avoid the conversations. We look for opportunities to bring up. You know what? I'd love to help you. I'd love to share how Christ has made a difference in my life and helped me with my own terrors. Would you be interested in hearing it? We speak to it. We don't silence ourselves. We actually speak the truth in love. That's the role that we play. But for all of us, there's things that can prevent that from happening. Now, it's very interesting 
Because Christ actually talks about how salt can lose its purpose. And you see in, in verse 13, first salt has lost its t- taste, and then when it loses its taste, it's thrown out and trampled under. Very interesting. So he's saying, you are this salt, you are this preservative that should exist in the world. But did you know, you can actually stop being that. That's what Christ is saying. You can actually not fulfill the role that you're given. It's very interesting. So you are this, it's not optional, but you can be ineffective. You can miss the mark on the role you play as salt in this earth. And so I begin to ask the question, well, what, what makes salt not real salt, but like what he's talking about, this preservative, what, what makes you lose that preservative feature? Well, three things came to my mind. The first, how salt can lose its taste is, is chaos. I think one of the ways that we, we don't preserve is that we get so busy in so many different directions, just like salt that loses its flavor, it gets diluted. And the way that you dilute is you just add more things to salt and it loses its flavor. The way we lose our preservative and the role we play in culture and the lives of people is we just get busier and busier and busier. One of my favorite authors on spiritual life and development is Dallas Willard, and he says the main hindrance to the Christian life is hurry. It's busyness. It's going in 10 different directions at the same time, and we dilute our life. We have nothing left to give because we're so exhausted. I'm exhausted a lot. Sometimes my life is too chaotic. I think the second one is connected and it's, it's compromise. How can the salt lose its taste? Well, God's standards of this world, they, they don't really work anymore. They're outdated. They don't fit. Just look around us. And so we ask the question is, in today's age, how can God's ways work? And so we, we compromise. We adjust We begin to represent more of culture. And so instead of preserving, we actually become more like the decay. And God's ways are true, though. And it speaks to marriage and family and to sexuality and to gender and even to kindness, how we should love people. That doesn't fit in this dog-eat-dog world. But this is Christ's ways. So chaos and compromise and then the third, just comfort. One of the greatest idols of our day is personal peace. It's very interesting because we long for personal peace, but we're also so chaotic. And so it just keeps on going. And you see this. People want more peace, and so they think, well, then I need to get more involved in different things. And they get more involved in different things, and they lack peace. And guess what? They keep doing it and doing it and doing it. It's because they think the very thing that they're pursuing that's not Christ will give them what they need. But it never does. You just keep chasing more and more and chasing more and more and chasing more and more. And then you pass that down to your kids and they chase the same things. But that personal peace that we long for can only come not in the absence of things, but actually in the right things. That kind of comfort that we long for comes through following Christ and doing life his way, preserving the world in which we've lived. And so I wanna encourage you as you think of your own life, maybe there's some things that you have to consider Am I so busy running around that I don't have time to speak and to help all the people that God's placed in my path who are experiencing the decay of this world? If we don't have time for people, we don't have enough time, and we have to make different choices. 
The second thing is the way that you counter the compromise and even the chaos of all that we experience is you have to spend time regularly in God's word. If you need to preserve something, you need to know what you're holding it to, what the standard is. And God's word is his standard. It's his ways that we have an opportunity to live out in this earth. And so we have to take time, regular time, to soak in his word. That's how we get salty again. It's the seasoning of truth in love that we can experience in our life. And it's changing us. And we see things differently. We see his standards And the world doesn't need more of the world. It needs the salt of God's ways. And that happens as we spend time with him. So we are the salt, but we gotta be careful because we can lose our saltiness. The second analogy, Christ gives speaks to the darkness. So how then shall we live? Well, we need to live as a light that shines. Now, what's interesting, there's a difference between the salt and light. Salt, if you put it on meat, uh, after a while, it, it actually, you don't see it anymore. And that's part of the preservative. You put it on the meat and it actually kind of soaks in and it's absorbing the water. And it adds to that flavor. It adds to that preservative. But a light does the opposite. It actually is made to shine. It's open and it's visible. And so Christ is saying there's this standard that you can help be a part of slowing the decay of this world, the slowing the decay of your life, slowing the decay of all those around you. And that's the salt of God's word holding the truth as long as you live. But then you have an opportunity to be a light in the middle of the darkness. The idea is in your, in your words, in your godly contact, how you live your life. And back to verse 14 of Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is the speaking and living of life. Now, salt preserves, and it adds flour, uh, flavor, and it's certainly this, this purity and this, this healing, but light, light actually leads to life. Without light, there's no life. You guys didn't know, this was like science, this is like chemistry today, guys. It's like a little science lesson, but without light, life doesn't exist. Things would not grow. So it speaks to growth. It also speaks to illuminating, being able to see. Now, Christ is talking about these these homes that are on this this hill. And that's actually, if you go to the ancient cities, if you go to Jerusalem, even to this day, to Galilee, you see the houses that are up on this hill. And part of that was for protection, expansion. But it was also known that if that house lit it up, then it would actually illuminate the other parts of the neighborhood. And so what Christ is saying is, You have been given this position in Christ to shine, and wherever you are, you can shine in the darkness. There's meaning and purpose to your existence. You're not made for nothingness. You're not made for yourself. You're not made for independence. You're made to shine the light of Christ. And with that, again, we get a chance to illuminate God's word and his ways. I just want to read some scriptures that speak to the context of God's word as a light and also Christ himself. So just... This is just a little sample. You can jot these down. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Anyone grew up in Sunday school, you remember that song? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light. Did I get that right? To my path. First service didn't get that, guys. That was like an extra bonus. That's like the DVD extra right there. And you can get a refund on your way out, okay? But... That's a song. And, you know, the reason I share that is when you're a kid and you learn that, that's very helpful to learn. 
His word is, is, a, is a light and it's a lamp and it illuminates the way forward. That's his word. It does that. Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. In your light do we see. Whose light? It's, it's God's light. Christ, as he interacted with people, he came across sinners. Again, messed up people. And in one encounter, he came across an adulterous woman. And the religious leaders of the day actually had stones in their hands ready to stone her, kill her. Right there in the public. And Christ is in the middle of this situation. And he tells people, uh, okay, well, whoever is without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. They were holding this rock and this anger and realized that they were sinners just like she was. They began to unclench that stone, dropped it, and walked away angry and frustrated. Then Christ has an encounter with this woman. Chapter 8, verse 10 says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And then John 8, 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice what Christ told her. Neither do I condemn you. But then he says, go, and from now on, what? Sin no more. I've now given you the light. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Walk in what is right. See, a Christian to be a light doesn't mean that we accept everyone and just everything is the same and everyone can choose the truth and everyone can choose what is right and everyone can choose their own path. No, the light means there's a specific truth that's revealed. It's God's ways. And it's on a specific path. And the scripture actually calls that the narrow way. So think back the narrow way and this specific path and then the fact that not everyone will understand you and they'll come and persecute you and they'll revile you and they'll actually add false claims. He's speaking of this. This way is a different type of life. But you must shine. You must speak the truth in love and help people. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christ follower, you have the knowledge of the Son of God, what he's done for your life. You're no longer in the darkness of your sin, of your guilt and shame. You're no longer overwhelmed by the darkness of our world and all the terrors that we face. We cannot give in to fear. We cannot shrink back. We have an opportunity to speak light and life to those who need it, to heal those who are being decayed and connect them to the living God. And oftentimes, for me, and I'm sure for you, it just starts with conversation. We're willing to engage with people. So maybe another way to say it is, we can look at it in the world as the king and in the darkness. But what Christ is speaking to also is specific people. Are there people who are decaying? And are there people who are in darkness? And so another question for you is, are there people in your life who are experiencing the decay and are in the darkness and they're lost and they're alone? Christ is saying you have a role to play, to speak to God's standards, to be part of preserving his ways, to share people the purpose that they were made. They don't have to live to the standard of this world. They can live a new way of following Jesus. Well, just like the salt that can lose its saltiness, Christ speaks to the light that can be hidden. But this one's actually different. He says, like a city, look, the city set on a hill, it can't be hidden. What he's saying is if you have the light of Christ, you can't hide it. That's who you are. You can't run from that. 
But then he says, well, there is a lamp and you could put it under a basket. There's a way to, to dim it. There's a way not to shine it. And I think that's true for us. There's different ways that we've been given the light and it can be lessened and we can kind of just turn that fade on it a little bit. So I was thinking of what are some ways? Well, I think the first is we can complain. I think that impacts our light. The reason I say that is Philippians 2 actually says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may shine like stars in the middle of a crooked and depraved generation. So the opposite of the shining is this complaining. And it's so easy as you look at terrors in the world, and you can even look at the world and say, ah, it's all gone to pot. I don't know if you ever said that in that voice, but that's what I hear. Just like that, that grumble of like it's desperate and it's hopeless. And it kind of lets us off the hook. Like there's nothing we can do. So we'll just do our life and people do theirs. But actually, when you get to that point, you've missed an opportunity to give a light of hope. And that's what people need. In the middle of the darkness, they need hope that they can get out of it. That there is light at the end of their tunnel. And if the light that exists in this world comes from Christ, then it's up to Christ followers to share the light. If not, people will remain in the darkness. They will not find the light any other way. It may seem like it, but it's not a real light. The only lasting light is the light of Christ. And so when we're in hard situations, I want to encourage you, be careful of the grumbling and the complaining. Because you can really give hope to people by how you respond to hard things. Your kids are watching, your neighbors are watching, your coworkers are watching. The perspective you share about how Christ helps you, how he comforts you, just as a little way to illuminate the darkness, even if you feel it. And oftentimes when you are hopeful, it's amazing how the darkness shrinks back. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I think causes our light to dim is just cowardice. And this is something that I've struggled with in my life. The scripture calls this the fear of man. That is you care what people think, and I care what people think. In fact, in our culture, we have just a phrase for that. It's like cancel culture. You don't want to say the wrong thing in case somebody doesn't like it or doesn't think that's right or that doesn't fit the standard of this world, and they'll silence you, and that's happening in our culture. But the idea is that being silenced by man is something that should be most avoided. But what Christ is saying is actually, great is your reward in heaven if you don't care what man does to you right, they could persecute you, they could revile you, but great is your reward in heaven. And I will not leave you alone. I will stand with you. And so the way that you counter that fear of man and really caring what people think is you glorify God, you honor him. doesn't matter what man does to me. I will stand for you. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. I don't know what the future looks like for you and for me, for our church, for our community. In a lot of ways, it doesn't seem like things are getting better. Things like the decay and the darkness seem to be growing. But I have great hope because the salt and light of the followers that first followed Jesus, that spread Christianity and the world is a different place, we have the same power that they had. And it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So we can be salt and we can be light in our day and the darkness will not overcome us. Nothing can prevent 
the kingdom of God from expanding. So I want to encourage you, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to just what people may think of you. Let your light shine. Share the difference that Jesus made in your life. Look for opportunities for people who are decaying and wounded and hurt. Speak to them. Don't rush past, but ask God to open doors so that you can share the difference Jesus made. People are longing for hope that they can believe in. And that hope is found in Jesus. So let us be light and let us be salt. I want to give some next steps as the, the band comes up. Um, I want to encourage you, we're speaking a lot about God's word. And that is the difference. You, you have to have God's word in your, in your life to know what it means to be light and what it means to be salt. And so I, I've read through some of Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. But I encourage you, get into Matthew 5 for yourself. And so if you don't know like how to read the scriptures and it's new to you, uh, we have a Bible back there on our next step table. But here's a good way to start. If you don't know where Matthew is, you open the table of contents, you find the book of Matthew, and then you go to chapter five. Then you start reading and just start with like four verses. Just start with four. And ask yourself, like, what, what is Jesus saying in this? What does that mean? And just begin to chew on that. And that's what it means to meditate. You chew and you ask yourself questions. As you begin to get more used to reading God's word and asking questions, that light shines. It just, it illuminates and it keeps illuminating. And if you get stuck and you don't know what things are, talk to us, talk to a staff member. We wanna help you get into God's word for yourself. The greatest way for the salt and light in your life to be preserved is through soaking up God's word. Nobody can do that for you. It comes from your own pursuit. And then the second next step is just reflect on any ways you've lost your saltiness. I've talked about complaining and cowardice and comfort and any other C word I could think of, I put that on there, right? But think, think through that. Is there some things that you may need to focus on? Like, is there some salt that's just been diluted? Is there some light that's been dimmed? And then third, uh, we already mentioned this, but I, I encourage you to watch online next week. I'm gonna be talking about the next righteous generation. So far, we've been talking about how we can live here now, but what does this mean for the future, uh, specifically for our parenting and grandparenting? And what does it mean, like, God's plan for the generations? And so I hope you'll watch with us uh, online uh, next week and invite others to join with you. Maybe you just want to host a, a watch party. This is like 2020 all over again. Remember that? I still get a little like, you know. I can't do that again, but that's how I feel. Um, but, you know, so invite people. Sometimes it's, you know, good to just get outside of your own family. I remember singing just in my living room, but like, oh, man, this... This is terrible. Sometimes just invite people. A little bit more people helps with the singing, okay? You guys get what I'm saying? All right, I won't explain anymore. Okay, um, and then attend the picnic. Uh, next week, we don't wanna miss an opportunity, like Emily said, to, to fellowship together. And so just make it a point to be at Rosina Park East at, at noon. Bring a lunch, we'll have some fun time together, and that's really good. It just reminds us of like, okay, we can be salt and light together as we hang out. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, which is true, and it speaks to what we need. And even though it's counterintuitive, your ways are better than our ways. And we have to trust you in that because our world is going in a different direction at a very fast rate. And it can seem like we don't belong and we don't fit and to just maybe be passive or apathetic but you've given us a purpose, a great purpose. And that's to be salt and light. And that is who we are. 
And I ask God that you'll help us to not be afraid of what people think of us, to take inventory of things in our life that we need to look at, to be more of who you asked us to be. And God, will you just give us a love for your word that we may soak in it and learn from it and apply it? Even that, God, we can't do without you. So as we read it, I pray that you'll help it to make sense to us, that it will be that lamp and that light into our path. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.